Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The Righteousness of God Revealed in the Book of Job. That's coming up next on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Hi there, and welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We would invite you to join us today here in Job chapter 9. It's here that the righteousness of God is revealed in stark contrast to what Job seems to be going through. Or is it a contrast? Or is it a compliment? That is the question we're addressing today here on Abounding Grace. Won't you join us with today's broadcast? Once again, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. We have to remember God's goodness and His faithfulness even in the dark hours. But please understand, we see things much more clearly than Job could have because Jesus now has come, because we have a high priest at the right hand of God. Job hoped for and he wanted him, but he didn't have him like we have him. We have him and yet we fold and we melt at very little pressure and trials. So let's remember something. Let's remember that faith feeds on God's love and God's promises. And yet sometimes God's work works in your life through sickness and joblessness or someone close to you dies. And he brings this because he wants to teach you. All you need to eat and survive is my word, my promises, and my love. We can see this more clearly than Job ever could have. And so Job is undone. In verse 17, Job is broken, and this tempest he speaks of reminds me of Psalm 24-7. All of your waves and billows have gone over me. You've multiplied my wounds without cause. Now that's an interesting, interesting phrase. Basically, Job was saying, I don't know why this is happening. Now, he's not saying God doesn't have a reason for this to happen. He's just saying, I don't know why he's doing this. I I love him dearly. I thought I was walking with him. He says in verse 18, he won't even allow me to take a breath. He's filled me with bitterness. Job, Job feels like he's suffocating. Have you ever felt like that? Now, granted, you don't have all the things that happened to you like they did Job. But it could be a sick parent. It could be your child falling into sin. It could be marital issues. It could be just living in an ungodly culture. It could be any number of things. But you feel, I'm, I'm just suffocating under God's judgment. He says, verse 19, Strength? I have none of this. God is the strong one. 
He says in verse 20, if I justify myself, my own mouth would condemn me. By the way, learn this lesson. Whenever God brings a charge against you, whenever you feel that he is convicting you for sin, make your first response to be guilty as charged. I might not see how I've sinned. Maybe whenever other people come to you and they challenge you about something, don't be so quick to defend yourself. If you need to be defended, let God defend you. Yes, we're supposed to defend our own good name and our brother's good name. But notice here Job's humility. If I started trying to justify myself, my mouth would condemn me. He says, if I say I'm upright, I'm good, I would immediately show from that that I am a perverse person because a godly man doesn't defend his own uprightness before God. That's what God does. So verse 21, even if I were upright, I would not know my soul. Job says, even if I were a good man, a righteous man, I still don't know myself. How often have we heard, and I'm sure we've all said this, you know, no one really knows me. Well, let me add one more phrase to that. And you don't know you either. We think we know ourselves. Of course, we think we're experts on ourselves. But we're not. There's only one expert on you and on me, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knows exactly what we need. So Job says in verse 22, Bildad, let me tell you the truth about how God deals with men in this world. He says God destroys the upright and he destroys the wicked. Now listen closely. He says God's hand, Bildad, doesn't just fall on the wicked. You say, Bildad, I'm suffering, so I must be wicked. But God's hand tries everyone. God sifts the righteous as well as the wicked. And verse 23 if the scourge kills suddenly, and the second part is a very difficult phrase, the Lord laughs at the trial of the innocent. Now, if Job means it feels like God is mocking him, we've got to stop and say, Job, God is not mocking you. But again, we have so much more revelation than Job had. So we, we have to be very careful here. Job might be saying, and commentators are very divided on this, that when the surge comes, scourge comes, or the whipping of the righteous and the wicked, it may mean that God looks at the trial of his innocent people, and he just laughs, and he says, I'm going to bring this all to good. This is all going to come out for your good. You think God intends this for evil, Bildad? But he really intends it for good. For us, we need to remember Isaiah 62. 
In all of our afflictions, God never laughs at us in our weaknesses or our struggles. He loves us, and he always intends good for us. And of course, we know this because of Emmanuel, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became a man of sorrows. Why? To sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses and sorrows so that we can go to the throne of grace for mercy in our time of need. We need to remember this because verse 24 has a lot of truth to it. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. Now, of course, all rule, all authority, all power are in the nail-scarred hands of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he rules over everything for the sake of the church. But we've seen what happens in history. When the church gets all strident about this and says, get on your horses, put on your swords, we're going to kill the wicked, we're going to bring in God's kingdom right now. This is what happens. You know, we do crazy things. The Crusades. Now, they may have been consecrated, declared sacred by zealots, but, beloved, they were crazy. And on the other side, we get inquisitions, thinking we can impose what we believe the kingdom of God is on to others. That is not the way the Lord rules. He rules by changing men from the inside out. And sometimes he gives the wicked free reign. So that it looks like true faith is going to perish on the earth. It looks like verse 24. Sometimes God covers the faces of the judges. That there is no remedy to be found in men's courts. That judges don't care about righteousness. They can't see things correctly anymore. Kind of like today. But who has done this, he says. If it is not he, who is it? Job confesses it is God who has done it. Bildad, God has done this. Please remember, particularly in our day, because you hear on conservative radios, throw the bombs out of us. We need to throw off this yoke. But you need to remember, wicked men and wicked governments are called God's sword in the Bible. Oh yes, we've got to pursue righteousness and pray God's promises and seek the kingdom of our Savior and its growth. But we have to submit to some degree... And realize God is the one who has brought this. God has brought these calamities. And so faith must patiently wait upon him. Because he and he alone is the governor of nations. Don't let the ways of the wicked destroy your peace, beloved. God is still in control. Well, in verses 25 through 35... Job falls into a heap again. Have you ever felt like this? Job is moaning. He says in verses 25 and 26, my days are passing swiftly. I don't know if you remember, but earlier he said the days are passing slowly. And here he says they are passing swiftly. Because Job sees no good. And we can't go with him there. 
He has allowed his grief to hide God's goodness from him and his promises behind a cloud. He says, I'm I'm just going to sit here and drink some beers. Verse 27. No offense to beer drinkers. I'm going to go and forget my complaint. I'm just going to go put it out of my mind. Let me just sit and watch TV and, you know, soak up a pack or two, a six-pack or two. I'm just going to pretend none of this is happening to me. Have you ever done that? He says, I'm going to leave off my heaviness, my sadness. I'm going to comfort myself. I'm going to give me some me time in the midst of all of this. But in verse 28, he says, all of my sorrows just make me afraid. And whenever, wherever I go, I know God's not going to hold me innocent. Think about that. Wherever I go, God's not going to hold me innocent. You know, it's funny. We think we need me time. We use that proverb, the grass is greener. But please remember, the grass is only greener on the other side until you start walking on it. Because as soon as you start walking on it, it turns brown. You know, we often forget this and think, I need a new wardrobe. I need a new face. Yeah. I need a new car. I I need a new church. I need a new spouse. I need to move somewhere where everything will be okay again. People are always living this way. But they forget something. They forget, I'm taking me with me. And as long as I take me with me, I'm just taking the problem and putting it somewhere else. Job recognizes this. I'm not innocent. So God is going to chasten me. He says in verse 29, this is hopeless. We can't go this far with Job, but understand what he means. I'm so wicked. I'm laboring in vain. I'm I'm going through all of this for nothing. If I'm really evil, Bildad, like you think I am, then why try to to be any better? He says in verse 30, I'll wash myself in the snow, the, the purest water, the coldest water I can find, and I will make my hands ever so clean. But Lord, you'll just plunge me into the ditch again. In verse 31, and my clothes will abhor me. Can you imagine being so dirty? I remember my mom telling me as a kid after playing all day, on a baseball diamond that was kind of muddy. Your pants are so dirty they could just stand on their own. But Job here says, I'm so filthy that my clothes hate me. They don't want to be any part of me. Job is speaking a bit exaggerated here, don't you think? But it gives us a sense of his humility. Now we come to the end, and these are some of the most profound words we have seen yet in this book. First of all, Job says in verse 32, God is not a man. Don't forget that. God is not of the same origin as you. He is the uncreated. He is not just the big man in the sky. He is not a man. 
And Job says, there is no way that I can answer him. He who stretched out the heavens and put the stars in their place, who shakes the mountains, who walks on the waters, I cannot answer him, and I cannot come together in judgment with him, because his ways are far above mine, and always, always good and righteous. Job's humility reaches a very high place here. Kind of funny thing to say about humility, isn't it? But he is saying, I can't come to God in judgment. He's God. He's majestic in holiness. And as Christians, we need to realize that when we do struggle and God brings difficult things in our lives, we want to find a way out. There's got to be a way out of this, right? It hurts too much. But many times the answer is, there is no answer. God has made our lives to be such that He wants us to spend time, that He does not want us to spend time trying to figure things out. He's God. He just wants us to submit to His will and say, God, not my will, but Your will be done. Just trust me, says the Lord. And then Job says in verse 33, Neither is there any umpire between us that he may lay his hand upon us. Now that's interesting. This is probably referring here to a mediator. But it's not the usual Greek word that is normally used. It is the word here for umpire. Someone who can decide this conflict or this debate between Job and God. Someone who could lay his hand on both God and me. Now, it's not that Job didn't believe in the Messiah to come. Everyone in the Old Testament who was a believer, even though there was only a small amount of light, still believed in the Lord Jesus, the mediator and the promised deliverer. But Job here, for a moment, is pleading. If only there were an umpire. If only there was someone who could be my go-between. Of course, we know who it is, the one for whom Job hoped, Jesus Christ. Again, it wasn't that Job lacked any sense of Christ coming. Remember, he often sacrificed and hoped in a substitute. But he couldn't know the mediator as we know him. Beloved, when we're struggling, we do have an umpire. We have the mediator. We have a go-between the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When we are struggling, we have someone who sympathizes with us, who has the interest of men and the interest of God equally in his heart. Emmanuel. So, run to him. Hold fast to him. But Job says here, I don't, I don't see him. Of course, for Job, the Messiah hadn't come yet. And he pleads at the end, the last two verses, let him take his lot away from me. Let not his fear terrify me. Now, I don't know about you, but this is upsetting to me. Because to see a godly man just struggling like this, his health is shattered, his children is dead, his, passion, his possessions are robbed, and he just says, Lord, I... I'm terrified. This is Job. This is a godly man who loved the Lord, yet he was terrified 
under what God was doing to him. If only this terror would go away. Verse 35, then I would speak and not fear. But it is not so with me. I can't fault Job too much here for his comments. He overstretches, yes. He forgets for a while God's righteousness and love, yes. But we have the Lord Jesus. Job did not have him in the same way we do. And we know who it is for whom Job longed. Listen as I close here. Job endures this horrible trial by having faith that it once that was actually real, but it was very small. When troubles come to us and we have the Lord Jesus, we see him when we are sifted, when it is our families, our finances, our country, and we feel like God's hand is against us, what are we supposed to do? We turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to the Lord Jesus and trust in Him because God is righteous and He cannot leave the guilty unpunished. So we must, must, must look to the Lord Jesus who is our righteousness. So if you feel your sinfulness, and we all should, if Job did, we should, then we have only one place to go, and that is to Christ and to a super peace before God based on Christ's blood and His obedience and His sacrifice. When we are drowning in sorrows... And we say, God, why have you brought this into my life? Remember the blood of the Lamb of God. Calvin says, the blood of Christ is always distilling before the throne of God. Christ is always purifying us. He is always there for our cleansing. There is no one else. The Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. And we have the umpire, the mediator. We have the one who is the go-between. Run to the Lord Jesus. Cling to His power and His promises. And when your troubles seem overwhelming, remember, if you are Christ's, He loves you. What did others think of Jesus based on his circumstances? They hated him. Isaiah 53, he was despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. And what is true of him at some level will be true of us. So God is going to sift us. He is going to test us. He is going to refine us, those that we cling to the Lord Jesus Christ that much more closely. So one of the things that I take from chapter 9, and I hope you will find it as an encouragement, is that sometimes God will be think, bring things into our lives that will make us feel like all the wind has been drawn out of us. I got hit one time in a football game in high school so hard I had the wind knocked out of me, as they call it, and it was very difficult for me to catch my breath. Well, sometimes God does that. He sifts us. 
He brings death into our lives. He brings trials. Why? Because we don't live in the world of the atheists and the secularist and the statist and the mechanist. We live in God's world. And he does sift us and he tries us so that we may cling more closely to him and look to him in our times of need. Beloved, it may not seem like it, but there is no better place to be. And remember, he's not a man. Forget trying to make deals. Forget trying to defend yourself before him. Forget thinking, I've got a good reason to justify myself. You have nothing. It's better just to fall before him and say, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Have mercy on me. Cleanse me and receive me through your son. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- 8665607 that's 4088665607 our website where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us is reformedheritage.org and then of course you can write to us at pmb that stands for post mailbox number 402 1484 Pollard Road Los Gatos California the zip code is 95032 Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 